0: Here in podcast part four, William Roberts articulates his distinction between good and effective leadership, offers two interesting stories, and concludes by discussing the importance of an organization's culture. You made some distinction between a good leader and an effective leader. Can you talk a little bit about the importance between effective leadership and good leadership?
1: Right, I, you know, and i I don't think a um you know, I probably could have been more articulate about that. I'm not sure it's that, that you can be a good leader without being effective i I don't think you can, but clearly, you can be an effective leader without being good. Um, now to have the term "good" make any sense uh, in that context, you've got to believe in some fundamentals. You know that takes me back to Republic or that kind of thinking, and you yeah. know I think there are things that are some things are fundamentally good and some things aren't. You know, uh, you know others can argue that good is whatever we define to be good. In fact, that was one of the central, the, one of the arguments, uh, the dialogues between Socrates and and uh, Thrasymachus in Book One of the Republic was a, was actually on that, on that point. If you believe. That there is such a thing as, but there are some things that are fundamentally good. You know, then I think you can say that you, you know you can be you can be an effective leader without being a good leader, but it's hard to, but you can't really be a good leader without being a, an effective leader. You know, the, the example I used in uh, or the point I made in, in in the written comments to you was that some might interpret the word effective effective to mean efficiently producing a result. And you know Mussolini got the the trains to run on time, but was he an effective leader? So I you know I think you know I think we ought to use the term good, and we ought to think in terms of good leadership. And uh, and uh, you know a good leader is someone who's effective, who by virtue of her uh, or his presence, or encourages an organization to do a better job achieving both long and short-term goals than would have otherwise been the case. But at the same time, you know, to be a good leader, uh, that person needs to, to, to do things to lead an organization in a direction which makes the people who comprise it better, not only better off, you know, but better and better off. That had that leader not come on the scene, sure. so you know. Uh, in other words, the point is a leader must make a difference in a positive way. And again, you got to believe in some kind. Of, that there's some sort of that, that there are fundamentals, or the word positive doesn't make any sense. Sure. And so, so to put it another way, you know, to use a another term, a, a term of uh, Coach Holtz, you know, a good leader uh, is significant. You know, a person who's significant uh, has a positive impact. You know, on 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 those with whom he has contact, uh, or she has contact, has a positive in, impact on on colleagues and coworkers, and does positive things for for the customer. You know, and, and for the community.
0: Sure. You created an important distinction between good and effective leadership, and I'd like you to talk a little bit more about uh, effective or good leadership.
1: Right. I, I've continued to think about that, as, a, as I have about so many of your questions. Uh, I've continued to think about how I would describe effective leadership, and and as part of that process, I remembered some some memos I'd written, and uh, and there's actually a recent email, and I went back and I pulled some of those things up. In doing so, I I, I found a few thoughts and comments I thought it worth a while to pass on.
0: Okay.
1: From a memorandum of mine dated February 21st of last year, 2006, an entrepreneurial, growth-oriented enterprise requires leadership. Management tends to the status quo. Leadership seeks change. Management controls and cautions. Leadership inspires and takes the initiative management manages problems. Leadership finds solutions. From from that same memorandum, leadership is defined by what it does, not by what it oversees. Leaders take the initiative, advance ideas, seek answers, devise solutions, identify opportunities, stretch themselves by facing new challenges, mentor and and guide their colleagues, and generally set examples in in what they do. While a team may have a single manager, it can, and to be successful, must have many leaders. Hmm. I think uh, one of my great good fortunes uh, here at our little firm, Red Capital Group, is to be surrounded by people uh, who are leaders. It's what makes it a pleasure to come to work every day. Sure. From another memorandum of mine dated March 8, 2005, uh, a memo which I titled, A Lesson We Need to Learn. The memo contains uh, an excerpt uh, that I pulled from Peter Drucker's book, Management, Tasks, Responsibilities, and Practices. The segment of the Drucker book in- incorporated in the memorandum is titled, Controlled Experiment in Mismanagement. It discusses the decline of Ford Motor Company as a result of Henry Ford's belief that all he needed was his helpers, and apparently, uh, it's, its helpers is in quotation marks in, in this uh, description of Drucker's. So I assume that that must be what what Ford actually, the term he used. Sure. Uh, Drucker observes that, uh, and this is quoting uh, from this uh, excerpt uh, from his book. Henry Ford struck stuck uncompromisingly to his convictions. The way he applied them, for example, by firing or sidelining any one of his helpers, no matter how able, who dared to act as a manager, make a decision, or take an action without orders from Ford, could only be described as a test of a hypothesis which ended up by fully disproving it. As I mentioned, I'll get you an electronic copy of this memorandum so you can attach it. But um, I want to note that in the memorandum, I observed that when Drucker uses the term management, he doesn't mean management narrowly defined as some sort of command or control arrangement. Uh, and I think that's obvious from the above cited quotation. Uh, by by management, I believe Drucker means a lot more than establishing the direction for and exercising control over part of a business. Management for Drucker. Management and leadership for Drucker, uh, as, as I see it, are inextricably linked and intertwined. And if they aren't um, conceptually interchangeable, then certainly his concept of management encompasses uh, leadership the way I use the term. Too much management, and this is... I think um, uh, kind of evident from some things I've said earlier, uh, too much management, narrowly defined as like a pair of handcuffs, it's oppressive, it's de- debilitating, um, uh, particularly to those who have achievement in their DNA. And I think most everyone does. It's just something that needs to be you know stimulated, liberated, set free, encouraged.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, leadership, on the other hand. Or management with leadership at its core is liberating, inspirational, and empowering. Uh, and then the, the final the final piece of an email. This is a recent one I wanted to, to share with you. Comes as the result of a uh, thinking about a, uh, a discussion we had here just a few weeks ago. Some of the uh, the, the, the senior leaders at, at Red Capital sit down from time to time to discuss strategy, tactics, performance, things like that. And, and we had a meeting like that earlier this month, and, uh, and I sent the following email uh, regarding our discussions to the group. Uh, the key in these discussions going forward, in my view, is to focus primarily on what is going to be done and how obstacles will be overcome. Looking ahead is creative and strategic. Discussing tactics to overcome impediments is energizing both are the stuff of leaders. Looking back and spending any more time on obstacles than is necessary to understand them uh, is the show and tell stuff of managers. Hmm. Clearly, some looking back is necessary. We need to know what our financial results were by way of an obvious example. But good fortune and fortunes will be made tomorrow.
0: Right. Right. Now,
1: many of my comments suggest that I'm critical of or look down on management. That's not really the case. Management is crucial. It's just that there's so much more emphasis on management in school and as people come up through the business ranks, particularly in large organizations, while in contrast, the opportunities to learn how to lead are relatively few and scattered that i I just feel a need to emphasize uh, the importance of leadership and to encourage leading. We've talked about Patton a little bit. Uh, Patton may or may not have been a great leader. There's, there, you know, there are mixed reviews on Patton.
2: Sure. But
1: let's just let's just stimulate for a moment that, or st- let's just stipulate for a moment that he was. Let's just stipulate for a moment that Patton was was a great leader. No, no matter how great a leader Patton was, absent the ability to supply his army with food, fuel, ammunition, medical care, uh, you know, and the other necessities, success would have eluded him in North Africa and in Europe. So I emphasized leadership not to, di- not to diminish the value of management. I acknowledge its value. Patton couldn't have succeeded without very high-quality management. I emphasize leadership because many organizations feel that management, which is much more readily available than leadership, is enough. It isn't. It's not even close to being enough. Coloring inside the lines has never produced a great work of art.
2: Hmm.
1: And management, you know, management colors inside the lines
0: while leadership says, let's sketch some new lines sure now why do you think that is that you know management is is taught more in school management is the thing that's gotten more attention and maybe has i don't i mean you didn't say this directly but basically that you know maybe it has a little more credibility people are willing to spend more time on that than to spend the time and effort on teaching and um, working on leaders and leadership skills, the soft skills. Why do you think that is?
1: I think well, that's a really you. You know, your your questions really are good questions. <laughs> as with so many questions, I don't really know that I have the answer, but I'm going to speculate anyway. Two, as you were asking that question, two, uh, you know, two thoughts kind of came to mind. Okay. Uh, one is there was a time when Businesses were organized in a way which placed a real premium on management,
0: okay. and, and
1: I'm not saying that management's not important now, as I as I right, mentioned, I right. think it is important. Right. But but in an industrial, you know, in an assembly line, uh, industrial type economy, managing, you know, all of the resources of production, making certain that they all arrive at the right places at the right time you know, in the right sequence so that the factory continues to run or the, you know, or the entire corporation continues to run. I mean, the logistics of all of that are really, in certain respects, quite staggering and place a premium on management. You know, so, and there was a lot of study done about assembly line production and how to manage it, how to organize organizations. Uh, or how to structure organizations to 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 function in that type of uh, of society and and what employees needed. I mean Maslow's hierarchy of need. I mean all this stuff came out of you know came out of uh, the industrial period of thinking. Right. And all those things became things that are you know that are relatively uh, easy to teach. Sure. I mean, maybe not all that easy to learn. I'm not saying it's easy to learn how to be a really a great manager. I don't know that that's any easier to learn than, than, than how to be a leader. But there's all of this uh, material available to allow it to be taught. Right. You know, books, all these books about management and all of these studies and the things that grew out of, out of, uh, out of our, in- the, our industrial age. You know, we're just we're just coming into a, a new time. So, so the, the the two things that popped in my mind were, uh, well, there was a time when it was really very important during what and during that period, leadership is as we're using the term, maybe was not quite so important. You know, except at the very upper echelons of a corporation. Sure. And then there was all of this study done and research done, and all these books generated, and and, and there were. It, uh, it just became there are kind of rules if you will, for managers right you know uh, and the, the, you know you can it may not be easy to learn, but you can instruct it. So what 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 can be taught gets taught. So now here we are in, a, in another age, uh, the beginning of another age or maybe a little further into a new age than some than some realize you know the knowledge, Society, or a society in which uh, the, the the real uh, the real value uh, in many companies is in people, you know, not in capital, you know, not in equipment and machinery. Uh, it's in you know, it's in creativity and uh, and, and thoughtfulness and and leadership. Uh, and maybe we maybe academically. Uh, we just haven't caught up with it yet.
0: Hmm. Do you see that? Take, do you see things taking place in the next decade that that will
1: allow some well, you're,
0: catching up to take place?
1: Isn't that kind of what you're doing? Isn't that the void, in a way, the void you're feel, uh, filling?
0: I think so. That's true. Yeah, I I do too. <laughs> all right. I mean, I think you're a, you
1: know, you you are a uh you are stimulating a new way of thinking about how businesses, not just businesses, but non-governmental organizations, government, non-profit entities, sure. I mean, we all face the same sorts of challenges and you're sort of stimulating, I mean, you're stimulating thinking in that area. Sure. you you're the you know your website and uh, the material on it and the interviews you do it's becoming a great resource for teaching leadership sure. or at least getting people to think about leadership
0: sure okay that's the
1: best i that's the best i can do on, on that i you know that's that's, well, that's something i'm going to keep
0: that's that. that's something i'm going to keep thinking about <laughs> well, those are great thoughts very very insightful the other thing that we were going to discuss is your story. We had addressed it a little bit um, in terms of some of the quotations you had selected. We had talked about uh, the African proverb that you had identified and and that really fit in nicely to um, the notion of one's story. Um, Could you talk a little bit more about that proverb as it relates to your story and, and then also another allegory that you had referenced?
1: That proverb, just to to reiterate, goes as follows. Every morning in Africa, a gazelle wakes up. It knows it must run faster than the fastest lion, or, or it will be killed. Every morning a lion wakes up. It knows it must outrun the slowest gazelle, or it will starve. It doesn't matter if you're a lion or a gazelle. When the sun comes up, you better start running.
2: Hmm.
1: I do think there's a lot of wisdom in that proverb. Uh, as I mentioned when we talked about it earlier, uh, we've used it corporately in several ways, in business, in school, and life in general. You need to work hard; nothing comes easy. In other words, when the sun sun comes up, you better start running. But there's but there's also something uh, additional. Uh, There's some additional implicit wisdom in that proverb that may or may 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 not be obvious. Note that it doesn't say, you'd better be running all the time. Today, um, so many people are plugged in by cell phones and Blackberries and other devices that that I don't understand or don't want to understand uh, Mm -hmm. to a world economy that is to say, to markets and business activity upon which the sun never goes down, that they try to run and perhaps feel that they must be running all of the time. The fact is that absent time for thoughtfulness, there can be little real strategic thought, and absent strategic thought, there can be little real leadership. Perhaps that's why so many companies uh, appear to be trying to outsource their strategic thinking to consultants. I just just don't believe you can successfully outsource either strategic thinking or leadership. And, you know, I think people who want to be leaders uh, need to unplug, uh, at least from time to time.
0: Sure. Oh, I agree. And I agree with you that 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 is not taking place. It's kind of like, you know, what Covey calls, I guess, sharpening the saw where you need to need to definitely be able to to step back from time to time or boy you just you really get locked in and aren't able to see that big picture
1: right and, it, and it's addictive mhm it's addictive i mean i don't know how to deal with this maybe somebody has an answer to this you know you come into the office uh and the first thing you do in the morning is you turn on your computer at least that's the first thing i can do and you've got these emails,
2: right.
1: you know, and you feel compelled to answer them, <laughs>
2: even
1: even though because, it, it, because it's out of a matter of courtesy, you know, or, you know, some of them are things you really need to respond to, but a lot of them are, maybe aren't. Sure. It's too easy, too easy to hit reply to all, you know, and pretty soon you've got the whole world in this email loop.
2: <laughs>
1: so it's really hard to unplug. Mm-hmm. Your question was, was really a more personal one, though, and I got off on a tangent there a little bit. Uh, personally, I do identify with that African proverb, uh, except, and I mentioned this when when we talked at the end of our last conversation, uh, I don't really want to be uh, associated with a firm, uh, and I personally don't want to be uh, a lion that's just a little faster than the slowest gazelle, or a, a gazelle that's just uh, a little faster than the fastest lion. If, if, if we're lions, then we want to be the fastest lions. Sure. And if we're, if we're gazelles, we want to be the fastest gazelles. Just getting by, survival, that's not the goal. In fact, it's not good enough, for me at least, to be center of the pack, or to perform in line uh, with, with others, with benchmarks, with peers, uh, the goal I believe should be to be the absolute best.
2: Hmm.
1: I'm not, not naive I'm not naive enough to think that that will always be the outcome. Indeed, it may not often be the outcome. In fact, it may never be the outcome. But if you don't make that the goal, how will you ever find out how good you might become? Sure. And then the other, the other when as I thought about this, the other, uh, the other story that came to mind uh, uh, is is in Republic. We talked about uh, Plato uh, in our conversation a week or two ago, and talked a little bit about Republic. There's a there's a there's a story uh in republic 7 that i find very uh, insightful uh, socrates speaking with glaucon describes reality and the quest for understanding in terms of life in and an effort to escape uh from the cave the story is it's generally known as either the allegory of the cave or the myth of the cave to summarize it succinctly uh Socrates posits that we're all chained in a cave with our backs to a wall. Our heads are chained. We can't change. We can't turn our heads. We can just look at this, the, the, at, at, at the wall in front of us. We're chained to one wall, and we're forced to look forward. Behind the wall we're chained to, there's a great fire, and in the light of that fire, puppets are manipulated and they cast shadows on the wall. We see those shadows as reality. We've known nothing else. So that is reality to us. Sure. Occasionally, he argues, someone breaks loose from those chains and after considerable effort climbs out of the cave into the sunlight. When he arrives, he's blinded by the light. He stumbles around like a fool. Uh, but, But eventually, his eyes adjust and he begins to understand reality. Looking back into the cave, he sees the fire and the manipulation of puppets and the shadows which many others see as reality when he re- and he's, he's actually he's actually compelled to return to the cave okay. and, and, what, and when he returns to the cave, he's compelled by his his need to share, to share the truth mm-hmm. this is in a way a, a sort of uh, autobiographical story for Socrates in any event, as well as a kind of allegory for life and for the quest for truth and many other things. There's a lot of dimensions in, uh, in, in Republic. In any event, when this individual who has escaped uh, and, uh, and has seen the sunlight and now understands reality returns to the cave to share the truth with those who are still chained to the wall, they believe him to be a fool or a liar or worse. And remember, his light, his eyes are now accustomed to the light, so when he comes back into the cave, he stumbles around again like a drunkard. Hmm. And, and quite likely, those he is attempting to help fall upon him and kill him. The city, as the saying goes, always kills Socrates. Hmm. Now, what what's the point of that story? Well, there's lots of points in, in Republic, but my point in relating it is that a life, it seems to me, to have been well-lived must be a quest for understanding. Leadership requires the leader to do her or his best to get at least an occasional glimpse of reality and somehow to share that glimpse with her or his partners, colleagues, and customers. I don't presume for an instant that either as a person or as a leader, I will make that metaphorical Socratic climb out of that allegorical cave, but there is enormous value in the effort. If nothing else, it's important to remember that our understanding is highly imperfect. That is to say, it's important that we, that we know that we don't know, knowing what you don't know, or and knowing that you and knowing that you don't know, are valuable attributes.
0: Sure, well, I think that's a terrific example of, of a story to use. In fact, both of those are.
1: Oh, well, good. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you. I'm glad you led me down the right <laughs> down the road to the right sort of. Uh, Right sort of response. Thank you. I got one more thing I want to share with you. Terrific. As you can tell from our discussions, I think a great culture is very important and I think values must be at the core of a great culture. When we formed Red Capital Group in 2000, we spent a lot of time thinking about what was important and about what sort of organization we wanted to be. Uh, that, That thinking gave Rise to our 21 covenants, and I'll just read you a few of those. Okay. Actually, the, of the of the 21, the first rule and the 21st rule are the same, because uh, the first because it's the first and last thought we want to have uh, in in any sort of dealing, and the, so the first rule and the last rule are both always do the right thing. Hmm. And then just skipping around uh, to some of these others, where others see problems, find opportunities. Be consultive. Two minds are better than one. Hmm. Be attentive to detail. The details can kill you. Hmm. Be aggressive. The world will not come to you. Learn. Knowledge is both power and the key to success. And and finally, here's the eighth one. There was there were four. That was four or five different rules. Uh, The eighth one is: think of your colleagues as customers. Think of your customers as colleagues. Hmm. Value them as people. Treat them as you would like to be treated. And and there's like I said there's there's 21 of them, but that's sort of a sampling. When I look back at my time at Red, I want to be proud of what I helped create. And when others look back. At their times at at Red, I want them to be proud of what they helped create. Helping build an organization that delivers the goods, whatever those goods are, victories, profits, whatever, is only a partial measure of any organization. The key is to create something in which everyone can be and should be legitimately proud, even when the organization suffers some kind of loss or defeat. Organizations with that sort of pride, and I think that pride has to be anchored in a great culture with solid values at the core. Organizations with that kind of pride help help make everyone better. I think they're resilient, and I believe they're more likely to prevail in the long run. And I also think people who work uh, in organizations of that type carry something uh, valuable uh, with them into the future, whether they continue to work uh, in that sort of orga- in that organization or or someplace else. Sure. I guess that's the 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 other thing I'd like to share about leadership and about the way I view leadership and about this business.
0: Terrific. It's been a real pleasure for me personally to hear a lot of the insights that you have to share because I think they, that you really do have a lot of things figured out awfully well.
1: Well, you're, you're kind to say that.
0: What you're doing
1: to bring focus on leadership is, uh, is a real service
0: to the future. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. This concludes this month's podcast with National Leader of the Month, William Roberts. Come back next month for another edition of the Leadership Podcast Series from Leadernetwork.org.